The following message was preached at Flint Hill Baptist Church. We would love for you to join us on Sundays for life groups and worship, or on Wednesdays for adult Bible study, kids, and youth activities. For more information, visit flinthill.net. That's some good stuff right there. <laughs> Man, I hear you, Gavin. I hear you. I, I will say, I, I, um, I know I've been, I've been accused of preaching every now and then, and, uh, and I'll get to that in just a minute. But um, I'm telling you, the Lord's rich up in His house t- today. Uh, the worship this morning, the prayer time. I'll go back to the prayer time early this morning, uh, gathering here. Uh, the Lord is stirring hearts. I, I will say this to you, all to all of you here today. Uh, I may not know every one of you personally by name, uh, but if you're here today, you're not here by some happenstance. God has you here for a reason and a purpose. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest as I can. I almost want to give an invitation right now. I really believe God's knocking on the door of some of your hearts right now. And I'm always concerned, you know, get up here to preach. I don't want to quench the Spirit, you know. I'm sorry. you know. Now, thank you. Somebody laugh with me a little bit. I'm sorry. You know, preachers have a way of doing that. Um, but, uh, but, I, but I'm just telling you, the Lord is rich up in His house this morning. And I, and I would say He's rich every day in the house of the Lord. But sometimes God just seems to be knocking on the door of hearts. And I can sense that already. Uh, he's been, certainly been knocking on mine since early uh, this morning. And uh, so I will say to you, if you're here today, please hear me. Please hear me. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Um, and it may not, you may know the Lord personally as your Lord and Savior. It's just you coming back to Him. Does that make sense? You know, there's a difference between knowing Him and, 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 and submitting to His Lordship in your life. And, um, and it may be that God's calling you back to that simple place of submission and trust in Him. So I, I just encourage you today, in just a moment, we're going to have a, what we call a song of invitation and response. And friend, if you're here today, today's your day. Um, and I would, I would encourage you and exhort you in Christ to come, to come. Uh, I, I shared several weeks ago, I've been, I've been on this kind of series, I guess you want to call it, about the firm foundation, firm foundation. And uh, I shared with you a couple weeks ago about the gospel and how that's so critical that you can't lay another foundation of which Christ has already laid. In fact, uh, if we're going to be a strong church, if we're going to be a church rooted and established, that means we're a church that is planted firmly on the gospel. Uh, and not to relive that or re-preach that, but that literally means that whatever we do, whatever we do, let me say it this way, if we're doing something and we're not presenting the gospel, we need to quit doing that. But whatever we do, we ought to be doing it with a view of presenting the gospel through whatever we're doing. Why? Because God has appointed us, called us, set us apart, filled us with His Holy Spirit, given us His Word so that we can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Not just once a year, friend. I'm talking about all the time, no matter what we do. And, 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 and thank you, Lord, God has placed us in a community and in a, uh, 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 an area that needs Christ. I mean, you don't have to go far. There are people all around. There are more people today that don't know Christ, that don't go to any fellowship, any church, and, uh, and so I, I say that God has placed us at the right time right here for one purpose, and that's to present the gospel. That is our firm foundation. Now, in that, I, last week I shared about grace and how it's so critical. Grace, I mean, is just beautiful. It's matchless, and it's just who God is. He's a God of grace. I, I love my little life group, and uh, Chase and Dwayne are teaching through 
uh, Genesis. And they're going through that. And uh, it's just beautiful to look at that through Christ's lens, you know. Uh, the grace of God, even in judgment, you see the grace of God. And how God uh, loves humanity. It's just a beautiful picture. Today, if you got your Bibles, I'm going to probably share in several passages of Scripture. So, what's well, already up there. There you go. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. Little bitty book in the back of your New Testament. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. So I'm going, to, I'm going to share with you today what, I, what I've titled, The Love of God. And uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, uh, makes it just an incredible statement that's, that's really reinforced all throughout Scripture. Uh, in 1 John 4, 16, it says, and, uh, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. I mean, it's just real simple and straightforward. Um, uh, Wells Dictionary of Theology says God doesn't need to attain or attempt to maintain love. It is the very substance and very nature of God. That's who He is. God is love. We see this all throughout Scripture. I mean, even in your Old Testament, you know, we think of all the rules and regulations, but it's driven by a heart of love for humanity and for His people. And, of course, we see that fully, completely in the New Testament, specifically in the Gospel. Um, A.W. Tozier, a pastor, teacher, theologian back in the 20th century, makes this statement. He says, from God's other known attributes, we may learn much about His love. In other words, he makes a statement that God is self-existent. In other words, He has no beginning, and so therefore His love has no beginning. Uh, in other words, He is love. It's who He is. Um, the next thing is he makes this statement, he says, God is eternal, which means literally his love has no end, never ends, forever, eternal love. God is infinite, it has, his love has no limits or no bounds. Now to God be the glory. Some of y'all need to be saying thank you Jesus, because I mean, he, I mean even, in other words, his love reaches to the depths uh, of wherever we, have, we were before we knew Christ. Regardless of what we were in, his love has no limit. In other words, let me pause here just a minute. I know he's going to God is infinite. Uh, no, he's, uh, sometimes we, we perceive and define love based on us and what we believe and what we experience. But man, God is not us and we are not God. And his love is infinite. It has no limit. In other words, your love may get to a limit. You may choose to not love somebody or some way or something in that way. God's love has no limits. It has no bounds. It has no beginning. It has no end. It is incredible when we begin to really think about the depth, the breadth of God's love. He goes on to say, he says, God is holy. So therefore, his love is spotlessly pure. It's, uh, it, 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 in other words, there's no deceit. There's no ulterior motives. It is pure love of the Lord. And, and for us, it's just, it, it baffles our mind and our understanding when we begin to think that God can love me that way. Like there's no catch. He just loves you. I know this is, I know this is, some of you are going, I've heard that before. Friend, we need to hear it again. Go ahead. Turn to your neighbor and say, God loves you. Go ahead and turn to him. Now, all right, now there you go. Now, now, hey, wait a minute, hold on. Do it again and smile at them when you say it. It's, it ought to make them happy. To, God loves you. He really does. 
But His love is holy, it's pure. God is immense, and therefore His love, and I love the way Tozier says this, because God is immense, His love is incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea. And there's no end. I mean, you know, Paul said to know the depth, the breadth of this love, the heights of this love. Uh, God is love. Uh, C.H. Dodd uh, made this statement about this verse here in 1 John. He says, all of God's activity comes from God's nature of love. To say God is love implies that all of his activity is loving activity. In other words, when he creates, he creates in love. If he rules, he rules in love. If he judges, he judges in love, and so on and so on. However God relates, the foundation of that, it comes from a, a God who is love. He is loving. He is kind. I, I know this is hard for us to understand, but even in discipline, it is God's love that drives him to even discipline us. Now, I know there's some children in the house this morning, God, you don't understand. But I'm telling you, all discipline, it doesn't feel good in the moment, right? I'm not even looking over here at my teenagers right now. It doesn't feel good. But the heart of God behind it is love. It, he loves us and loves us so much that, yes, he cares that he would do things and create opportunities in our life that would even bring discipline in our lives. So I say this, this is foundational. God is love. In other words, if we're going to be a church that's strong, yes, we're on the gospel. We got to, we, there's no other foundation. Yes, we need to be a church full of grace, but we need to be a church rooted in His love. There's no other way. Um, now, this is not a message today. That'll be probably next week on the fleshing out of that in response to that. But there's some things that I want to share with you about God's love and the way that God loves us. So the first thing is this, in 1 John chapter 4, going down to verse 19. We love because He first loved us. Now this is, this is, this is important for us to understand. That in other words, how does God love us? What, what is the way of God in His love towards us? God always takes the initiative. He is always moving on our behalf. He never withdraws. He never waits for us to make the first move. Long before you reached out to God, He has already been reaching out to you with tender concern for you. Uh, Blackaby, Henry, and Richard would say that, that God pursues us. Uh, he longs for me and you to be in a love relationship with Him that is real and that is personal. But make no mistake, God comes after us. I mean, He really does. Even His care for us, uh, even when, I, I don't know if you can relate to this, some of y'all probably grew up in church since you were nine months in the womb, and maybe you didn't know this, but even if you were out there in the world going off the deep end or something, God's love, His protection, His grace, He's still loving you with an everlasting love. It is amazing. When I look back on my life, uh, and just many of y'all know my testimony. As a teenager in high school, I didn't know Christ, but I look back now and can see how God loved me. Oftentimes, it was to protect me or per even protect my very life in the midst of stupidity of whatever I was doing, but God loved me. I, I can remember even back, um, it's just amazing when I think about the little Bible school that I went to. Uh, as a child, I couldn't have been probably eight or nine years old. 
Uh, I don't even know if we do this in Bible school anymore. We didn't do it this past year. Those little plaster of Paris things, I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right. I'm see, I'm see Debbie shaking her head at me. Thank you. All right. And it was a little, it was a little pr- praying hands. Y'all probably seen some of this. And on the bottom of that, it says, trust in the Lord. I'll never forget that uh, when I gave my life to Christ, God reminded me of that very moment. I mean, that very moment. In other words, God was showing, demonstrating His love towards me even when I didn't know Him. It's, it's quite amazing. It's quite beautiful. But make no mistake, God always takes the initiative. He's not waiting on me and you. He comes after us. And, I, and I, I'm laughing a little bit because God will go to no expense. He'll come get you. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a good way. He'll, you don't, you listen, you can't. You go back to Psalm 139. Where are you going to go where he is not? There's no way you can outrun or get away from. Doesn't matter how high you go, how low you go, how far you go. He is there. Uh, and he loves you. The second thing is this. God loves uniquely. Uniquely. Uh, there's a couple words here. Uh, the Hebrew word is kesed. Uh, in Psalm, I'm, I'm, now this is where I'm going to turn to my Bible just a little bit if you want to make notes. Psalm 13, verse 5. Uh, this is just one passage of Scripture. But when we talk about the, the way God loves, in Psalm 13, verse 5, let me get there. Uh, the Bible says this. It says, But I trust in your unfailing love, And my heart rejoices in your salvation. And then in Psalm 106, if you want to turn there with me. In Psalm 106, verses 45. Let me get there. Should probably have these marked, right? Here we go. 106, verse 45. Um, But for their sake, he remembered his covenant, and out of his great love, he relented. We're jumping in a little snapshot, a little biblical principle here. But the word kesed, Hebrew word, is the word for covenantal love and God's faithful love. Blackaby makes this statement. It it refers to the covenant that God made with his people. We see this not just in the Old Testament, even through the New Testament, this covenantal love. But God promised to love them and provide for them. In return, the people would love him and obey him. As you read your Bible... Uh, you see that, the, unfortunately, oftentimes God's people didn't love and didn't obey the Lord, but they forsook Him. Yet God's love was called covenantal love because He was relentless and undaunted in His love for His people even when they committed abominations or sins against Him. He never fails. His love never fails. It is constant, unique in that respect, not like the love of this world. When you get to the New Testament... The word is agape. That's how I know I'm preaching to the choir. And it's a fancy word, agape. It just means sacrificial love. It's a love that is unconditional. I mean, it's a love that never stops. It's rarely used, believe it or not, in secular language in that time. It became the fundamental way that God loves His people. He agapes. He loves them with this kind of love. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, if you've known that, it's all about love and His love and how He manifested this love, and God calls us to manifest that love to others. Jesus said in Matthew 22, the greatest thing we'll do with our life is love the Lord with all our heart, agape Him. How do we, there's no way you can do that unless what He first loved you. Uh, He shows us that love, He demonstrates that love, and therefore He desires for us to reciprocate that love to Him and to those around us. 
So when we see this, God loves uniquely, not like the world. He's a covenantal love. He's a faithful love. Even when we turned away, He never turns away. It reminded me, even this morning, some of y'all know the, uh, the prodigal son parable in the Scriptures. Remember when that young man got to the end of himself? Y'all remember he was in that pig, pig pen of life? You know, I mean, he was literally in a pig pen in the story. But he came to his senses. And the Bible says he remembered how his father showed kindness or love to even his hired hands and servants. And he said, look, I'll go back to my daddy, my father, because they have it better off than I do. And I'll be like one of his hired hands. And y'all remember in the story, as this young man's walking the path, going back to the father. That's a sign of turning back to the Lord. What does he do? He sees his father in a distance. Father sees him, and the father takes off running. Runs to his son. Embraces his son. That's God's covenantal love. He is looking. He is relentless. It's unique. It's different. It's nothing like this world has to offer. And it's never-ending. Uh, he goes on. The third thing is this. God's love is steadfast. Um, Blackaby makes this statement. He says, human love grows hot and cold. We often find it difficult. I don't know if you do. Uh, you probably don't. Sometimes it can be difficult. I don't know why I'm laughing at myself so much. Uh, it's probably hitting home. That's what it is. That's what's happening there. Human love grows hot or cold. You probably understand this. I'm going to make this statement. Blackaby makes this statement that we often sometimes find it difficult to love others consistently, even when we truly care about them. Now, I, I, I got see, I get to looking around here, and people get, what are you looking at me for, preacher? I'm not, I'm not. Even family, ugh, sometimes, it's hard to love them. goes up and down, even if we truly care about them. Why? Uh, again, he makes a statement, our love is emotion-based. It fluctuates depending on how people are treating us or responding to the love that we show. However, God's love is steadfast. It remains fervent. In fact, nothing discourages His love and nothing can diminish it. He loves the same every single day. Your love may go up and down. You may be passionate one day. Go, yes, yes, yes. Next day you feel like you're in the, the lows. It never changes. Never changes. I, 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 you know, again, I, you don't have to turn there, but in Isaiah chapter 49, I mean, the prophet just hangs on to this right here as he's sharing the word of the Lord. In Isaiah 49, uh, chapter 49, verse 15, and he makes this, he may, and we're jumping right in. I know, he's making a statement here. He says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she is born? No, there's no way. I mean, that's implied there, right? He said, is that possible? Can a mother? Hold on. She may forget. Here it is. Here's the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. I, the Lord, will never forget you. It's interesting. I mean, God's love is steadfast. Uh, again, Paul hangs on to this in Romans. Romans chapter 8. Let me get there. Where's Romans? There it is. It's in there somewhere. Hold on. Hold on. We got to, I shouldn't say, I say things sometimes. All right. Get back to the Bible drill days. Here, uh, Romans, Romans chapter 8. His love is steadfast. Verse 37. This is a, maybe familiar words for us. Paul makes this statement under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, talking about all these things that have happened. He says, knowing all these things, and he mentioned a bunch of stuff, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
And here it is. For I am convinced. I mean, Paul is standing firm here. I am convinced neither death nor life, angels, demons, present, future, any powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love is steadfast. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate us from His love. That's a firm foundation. Next thing, God's love is sacrificial. Romans chapter, chapter 5, just turn, if you're following with me, verse 8. God's love is sacrificial. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Again, very familiar passage. God demonstrates or shows us this love, uh, His own love for us in this. How? While we were still sinners. That's probably too kind of a word. Hostile towards God, enmity with God, enemies of the Lord. While we were still all of that, Christ died for us, specifically for our sin. God presented and demonstrated His love. God's love is sacrificial. Make no mistake about this. I, I just want to share just briefly here. Uh, again, Richard talks about this just a little bit. In his little book, Ways of God, God, uh, God proves his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died. Here it is. And he, he just puts this together. And, and, I, and we, we've been, our little class has been going through Genesis, right? We've gone back to Genesis, looking at creation and, and how God has worked in that. But anyway, he makes this statement. God granted his creatures, that's the way he words it, paradise. But they rebelled, demanding more. He offered them eternal life in His presence, but His people opted for eternal separation from Him. He invited them to enjoy a close personal fellowship, but humanity chose to be His enemies. Blinded by sin, people made the, most, the worst possible decisions imaginable. Through the ages, God has suffered all manner of insolent blasphemies, cold-hearted rejection from His people, yet... Rather than taking offense or nursing his rejection, God gives more. God would have been thoroughly justified in waiting for humanity to come to its senses and ask for forgiveness, but he did not. He acted. He gave. And not just so sparingly. No. He sacrificed the most precious thing he had, his only son. The nature of God's love in Acts, in Acts regardless of the cost, in other words, his love is action-oriented. He never checks the price tag before choosing to love me or you. He cost him everything. He sacrificed all for me and you. His love is sacrificial. The last thing is this. God's love loves us with eternity in view. This, to me, is very foundational for us. In other words, going back in your Bibles in Romans chapter 8, when we talk about God's love, let me get there. Uh, in Romans chapter 8, Paul hangs on to this reality that God loves us with an eternal viewpoint. And there's two aspects of this. One is personal, one is universal. I'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, in other words, the personal side of this, what, how does God personally love us with an eternity in view? Uh, you see it in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. 
And Paul again says, And we know that in all things God works for good for those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. So here it is. Blackaby makes this statement. We must recognize that God does not love us temporally, but eternally. He sees the eternal view when He loves us. His focus is not to make us comfortable in this hour, or this year, but rather to prepare us to enjoy eternal life forever. His goal, oh, this might mess us up a little bit. His goal is not our happiness, but our Christ-likeness. Now, I will say to you, to be Christ-like fills us with much joy. John 15, Jesus said to abide in Him, and you'll bear not just fruit for God's glory, but there'll be great joy and great love be made, will be made manifest in our hearts and our lives. But here's the deal. God loves me and you with a view towards eternity. Now, I know about, I don't know about you. I'm just going to talk about myself. I can get wrapped up into me, me myself, and I. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all probably don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, I, I can. I can get so tunnel vision on my life. Even as a pastor, get such tunnel vision. But look, the truth is God loves us for not just now, but forevermore. So the work that God's doing in us is for His glory and for my good. Now, what about the universal truth? How does God universal? And now, now I'm going to back up just a little bit and talk about the firm foundation of the body of Christ. And how, what do I mean by us even personally? How, how, when God demonstrates His love for us, what do I mean by that? He does that with a view towards eternity for the universal. I mean, and, and when I mean by that, I mean that God created this world in which we live. God is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He's the one that created you and me. He is the author and finisher of life. He's the one that orchestrated, began, and brought about salvation through Christ and will bring Him back in time. I mean, he, in, the, in, in His hand is the fullness of time. So when I say that, when I think about His love to us towards eternity, I, I just want to share with you uh, just a glimpse about the story of Ruth. Because in your Bible, the story of Ruth kind of helps us to really understand, maybe, maybe in a different way, view God's love in a sense of eternity. And, and, what, and what do I mean by that? Uh, and you know that God, uh, let me get this out right here, that when God demonstrated His love towards Ruth, y'all remember the story of Ruth? Uh, she was a Moabite woman who wed a Jewish immigrant. Uh, it wasn't long after that. That her, her sister-in-law, her mother-in-law became all widows. Uh, their husband, brother-in-law, father-in-law, they all died. Leaving Ruth, Orpah, and Naomi, all widows. Uh, Ruth considered at this point that God, whether God loved her, uh, she probably would have been uh, maybe even blaming that he didn't love her because in light of all the tragedy and hardship and loss going on in her life. As a result of that, Naomi, Ruth's, Mother, uh, Ruth's mother-in-law wanted to be called Mara, or Mara, which means bitter, because she assumed God was dealing harshly with her in this moment. Now, I'm not giving any... Listen, she's walking through some difficult moments right now in her life. Does God love her? Yes. Does she feel that probably right there? No. But I want you to see this. Talking about the eternal view, how God loves us with a, an eternal view in mind. Think about this. 
Ruth, at this point, uh, was faced with, the, with, with probably one of the most important decisions of her life. In other words, uh, she, was, she, was, she made the decision to either stay with her family, uh, like her sister-in-law did, or follow this woman back to her people. Now, Blackley makes this statement about, um, about her, uh, about Naomi, and saying that she was older, she wasn't very happy at this point, she was struggling with all the things going on, and, and she, she was struggling. But Ruth made the decision to go with Naomi, and they went back to Bethlehem. Now, at this point, if you remember the story in the Scriptures, uh, Ruth worked hard. And she had a difficult life. She had to go to the field. She, she, she worked daily to have food for her and Naomi, laboring long hours. As a result of this, you also know that Boaz took notice, her kinsman redeemer, and eventually married her. And they had a son named Obed. Now, what's interesting is Obed ended up having a son Named Jesse. What's even more interesting is Jesse had a son named David, who became king of Israel, the messianic lineage of Christ our Lord. So when I say God loves us with an eternal viewpoint, I'm, I'm not sure we really fully understand completely on this side of heaven how God working in us and loving us impacts not just us, but others to come. Does that make sense? We live with that in view. In other words, I don't, I don't know if she understood that. I'm not sure that Ruth understood fully what was going on and what would happen later on, but I'm just telling you the Bible's clear that when God demonstrates His love, it's not just for here and now, but forever. And listen, God's got a plan and a purpose. What he's doing in me, even though it may be difficult to understand. Listen, God loves you with an everlasting love. And he loves you now and forever. And the work that he desires to do in you is for his glory and for your good. I, I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm just telling you the truth. God loves you. My question to you today is this. Are you ready to respond to the love of God today? There's a good song. And it goes something like this. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. It's just like that young man at the end of his self in that pig pen. Come on. Just like that young man had to come to his senses and come to the place where he remembered his father's love. Friend, let me encourage you today, today, right here, right now. Friend, wherever you are in life, God loves you. He didn't say you were going to be necessarily happy every single day. He did make a promise that He would never leave us nor forsake us. His love for us is so foundational. If we're going to be a church that's firm, that's rooted and established, it's rooted in His love that surpasses knowledge. A love that is consistent and constant and faithful, even when we're not. To God be the glory. So I ask you again, are you ready to respond and turn to His love? Friend, you may be here today and you've never known this love. This incredible love of God that is demonstrated in Christ Jesus. Well, just like that young man in that pig pen, he had to turn to the Lord. Same thing for us today. 
How do we do that? We acknowledge that our need for a Savior and we confess and we confess our sin, we confess our unbelief and we confess that we believe in You, Lord Jesus. And we confess, God, take my life. Change my life. Transform my life. Would you bow your heads this morning? Right now, right here, all across this room. If you're here today and you're ready, you're ready. You know God's knocking on the door of your heart and you're ready to respond to the invitation to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin and the assurance of heaven. Reach out by faith. That's how we turn, by faith. Believe and trust in the Lord. I invite you, implore you to do that. But friend, there may be some of you here today, oh Lord, you know Christ, you know this love that is faithful. But maybe you've turned away from Him, but He's never turned away from you. And now, now, you're ready to turn back to Him. I want to implore you right now to turn to Him to trust in Him. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, as we sing this little song, God, would You do a work in our hearts today? God, would You be glorified in this moment? God, would You help us to turn to You and trust in You, to rely upon You, to acknowledge You, to come back to You, Father? God, I ask all this in the precious, wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Stand with me, church. We're going to sing this song. As we sing, if you're here, and you know, you know, you need to make that public. You know it's time for you to come back to the Lord. You know this is where God wants you to be, plants you to serve the Lord, to root yourself firmly in the body of Christ here at Flint Hill. As we begin to sing, You come. You come.